Welcome to the Depth and Life Podcast. I'm J.D. Pirtle. As humanity takes measures to slow the spread and effects of the coronavirus disease 2019, or COVID-19, businesses, schools, and many public gathering places are shutting down or being restricted. This is very worrisome for all of us, and as of now, there are many unknowns. Educators of all types are facing the many challenges of a school system which has seemingly overnight been converted to distance learning only. In this ongoing series, we will be talking to educators each week about the difficulties, surprises, and discoveries they are meeting as they continue to teach during this unprecedented world event. Okay, Mimi and Colin, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Um, I just thought we would maybe we get started with some introductions. Maybe say you know your name and where you are and what you normally teach or what the kind of work you normally do in education. Okay. Uh, yeah. So um, I am the head of technology at the British International School of New York. We are located in Manhattan, and um, we're an IB school. So I teach MYP design, which is for grades six through eight. And PYP technology, which is for grades two to five. Mm-hmm. What about you, Colin? Yeah, I am a <clears throat> learning curator, which ends up functioning a lot like an independent um, consultant in education, K 12, um, with sort of a niche in makerspaces, project based design and inquiry. Um, and I also do a fair bit of travel education with the World Leadership School. Um, so you can about imagine that travel ed is uh, taking a hard, uh, hard uh, shut down right now. Um, and so I've sort of started working with some of those schools um, around some inquiry type learning and uh, helping navigate the remote learning environment that we're all moving into. And, and I'm in uh, Boulder, Colorado is home base. And Mimi, where are you located? I think you maybe you already said this, but I'm just going to repeat yeah. myself. New York City. Okay, awesome. Um, so how has your practice changed? I mean, uh, Colin, you alluded to that a little bit, but I mean, I, I think since we, uh, the three of us kind of focus on kind of technology areas, it might be a little easier for us to adapt to new tools, new primarily digital tools, but how have you guys had to shift the way you interact with students and any teachers or administrators you work with? Um, so luckily I had a lot of good tech routines and also just classroom routines set up. So not too much has changed. Like we're continuing to use Google Classroom. My school uses ManageBack as an LMS and we're still doing that. Um, I think I've had to do a lot more prep because I've recorded a lot of videos just because mm-hmm. you know I'm not there to explain to them live. Um, and not just like video, instructional videos for the class, but also individual feedback videos where I've screencasted parts of their designs and have like annotated it or have tell them like, you should move this, remove that or change this or that. So it's been a lot of, um, a lot of video creation more than I normally do. Um, a lot of screencasting, which I normally do, but just more of it. What about you, Colin? Yeah. So I was, uh, I teach a class in an independent school, um, called X lab and, and it's a experimental computer science course. So a lot of the workflows that we had established in class were digital in nature. Um, they have a work journal on Google docs that they were updating daily. Um, we have mm-hmm. a shared Google album where we're documenting our work. Um, 
and kids are uploading and downloading code from GitHub. So a lot of those workflows are, are consistent and can go digital or remote anytime. But I think the biggest challenge is, uh, you know, having patience and supporting kids at home who now need to learn how to uh, build a distraction-free environment for them to focus on on work um, in a in a new place for them, but mm-hmm. uh, and also working with educators and the teachers in the school that, um, like Nimi was saying, now they're recording more videos. They, it almost feels like there's more work to do um, because they're learning new tools, learning new processes, and then also still trying to teach the same way they have taught, uh, but just mm-hmm. digitally, which it creates a whole new set of challenges. Sure. So one thing I think about, I mean, there's, there, I've seen so much on different subreddits, like the ed tech and the education subreddits on Reddit. Um, so many different things on LinkedIn and Twitter about different distance learning strategies. But I feel like so many of those conversations leave out the, the very, I think, obvious thing that, you know, certain socioeconomic status um, or levels have access to internet at home, have access to devices at home. So are the students you guys interacting with, is there any way that you're mitigating that issue of like one student might have a great network and a computer and one student may have neither? Um, is that something you guys are dealing with right now? Um, luckily, not so much, but I know definitely of colleagues who are sending hotspots home mm-hmm. um, and other schools that are doing that. I think most of mine are really because um there's obstacles at home like there's a bunch of people Mm -hmm. working from home or they have to go to work with one of the parents um Mm -hmm. some of my students since it's an international school they've left for a different country Um, oh so they've gone home yeah also dealing with time difference and i i don't know what the situation is like in their home countries but um i i can assume they're the family left for you know for good reasons, but sometimes, you know, now the learning is not synchronous and I don't know what their situation's like with internet at home or devices. And so Colin, you kind of alluded to um, just kind of creating a distraction-free environment. So are you seeing, I mean, are are there issues of access like socioeconomically or or is it that coupled with just the normal distractions of being at home versus being in school? Yeah, I, I think they're both one of the first conversations that uh, the school had had with parents um, when they sent out <clears throat> communications was about access and devices. And for us, teaching a you know computer science course, you and kids are it's a BYOD environment, so you would think that just having a computer would be a basic. Hey, we've all got this, but mm-hmm. um, it, it's actually not the kind of device that kids are using varies. Um, and in independent schools, it varies. I think pretty extremely. Um, so we, we've seen some of those challenges and, and one of the schools actually did uh, a device call. They sent out an email uh, about a week and a half ago and they knew this was coming and said, We're, we need any extra devices that you can donate or have laying around because we're trying to get at least one in each home that's reliable, that has a steady internet connection. Mm-hmm. And if you have issues, we want to work with you to make that happen, whether it's you know supporting them monthly to up up, uh, increase their their bandwidth from their internet provider or giving them a device that can stay connected um, has a front-facing camera you know um, so just little things like mm-hmm. that that we just don't think about um, have all been brought to light and um, sure. during this time yeah I mean that makes sense I mean one of the things I'm thinking about since it's the, the all three of us kind of work in a similar 
field and or discipline in education. Um, how, I feel like sometimes, like if I were a language arts teacher or a math teacher, that a lot of the at home curriculum would be really adaptable. But I feel mm-hmm. like STEM and design and engineering maybe not so much. So, are there things that you guys are recommending for kids to do at home? I've seen a lot of like Rube Goldberg machine challenges with recycled materials, thirty uh, day Lego challenges. Are there things since it's hard? Like Mimi, you were talking about Arduino earlier. Is it hard to how do you teach Arduino remotely in this situation if every kid doesn't actually have a board? How do you teach any kind of STEM um, project with this situation? Well, so we closed last Wednesday. And so I've had to, um, you know, provide tutorials for both physical prototyping with um, their Arduinos and any other materials, as well as like how to do it on Tinkercad. And I know um, it's been a steep learning curve for some of them because I haven't introduced a lot of them to Tinkercad yet. And so not only do they have to learn circuits, but they also have to learn um, the 3D design aspect of Tinkercad as well. Um, I'm actually using Tinkercad with some of my uh, fourth graders because we're studying electricity and circuitry. And so I had some experiments planned, but I was able to complete a lot of them on uh, Tinkercad as well. So it's been a really useful tool for just, um, you know, with prototyping and doing your circuit board work. So I'm very lucky that Tinkercad has kind of evolved the way it has so that I can see a lot of my students work and they can still get a lot of the same work completed. Sure. So Colin, what about you? Yeah, our our class requires a, a fair bit of hardware depending on what the projects kids are working on. Um, and so for us, we encourage them to take it home, whatever pieces they could take home with them. Um, with the school closed last Thursday, and so there has been one or two people in the school since then, um, and other kids are picking up random things. So uh, we've had our kids go in and take whatever hardware they need. Um, to work on at home. But, you know, it's really been interesting to see that that is not as big of a priority, right? Like for, for us mm-hmm. as the teachers, we think, okay, here's the content, here's the stuff. But we're really as a faculty talking about putting a lot of the expectations on content learning on hold until mm-hmm. the processes and the systems uh, for kids learning remotely uh, are more familiar and comfortable. Mm -hmm. Have you guys seen a shift toward, I mean, I feel like a lot of times the fields we work in, STEM, design, engineering, makerspace, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, those are non-core classes. Sometimes schools call them specialists or something like that. Um, I feel like during a really trying and troubling time like this, where resources are kind of stressed, that maybe there's a shift toward focusing on core. Um, Do you guys feel like that's happening kind of in the schools you work in or in the schools you work with? Uh, so I think I'm quite lucky because um, design is one of the eight subjects of the IB. So um, although we're supposed to have equal emphasis on all the eight subjects, it's of, of course not the case. But um, I do have my standard mm-hmm. two classes a week, which I think is more than a lot of educators have with their, their students. Yeah, my two hours a week are protected. And um, how we're structuring it is it's not synchronous, but for those tasks of those days, you would have those four or five classes that you normally have, then they would set tasks mm-hmm. every day that you have class. So um, I still have my two hours per week with my students. 
And um, I'm supposed to be there during the school hours to provide them with any assistance on any of their work. Yeah, I I feel pretty lucky too that um, that I'm the school I'm working with right now. Watershed is a, an agile school in general, and they are giving the same amount of time to all area teachers. So their classes they call skill classes, um, mm-hmm. and they do them in conjunction with um, longer learning blocks in the afternoons. And uh, we all get the same amount of meeting time. Um, and for now, in the short term, the materials that kids have taken home, I'm thinking even in their science or, or some of their other art classes, those will mm-hmm. last a couple weeks. But I think if this extends for you know, four weeks, eight weeks, which a lot of the forecasts are saying this is eight weeks at a minimum, um, we might run into some different issues with physical materials, uh, especially in science. Mm-hmm. I, you know, listening to our science teacher talk about the challenges he's running into with trying to recreate experiments at home and how long that can last, uh, it, it becomes pretty challenging pretty quickly. Sure. I've, I've seen a lot of science teachers kind of talking about, you know, uh, baking and things like that. Uh, you know, um, I've seen a lot of maker teachers talking about fixing things around the house. I mean, we talk about making quite a bit. We don't talk about fixing very much in in the current makerspace STEM culture. So, um, you know, I know I've got some tile to put in a bathroom here and my kids are definitely going to be getting a, a STEM lesson out of that. How to put tile in, cut tile, grout tile, all of that. Um, so, Personally, how are you guys, what kind of self-care are you practicing? I mean, you know, uh, Mimi, you probably are deeper into this than Colin and I are just because of where we're located. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, New York is definitely in the news every day, just like Seattle is in LA. Um, So uh, what are you guys practicing for self-care? How are you kind of coping with the isolation and things like that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're supposed to be going on like, you know, um, shelter in place soon but I still see a lot of people out in the streets. So for my own self-care, I try to go out, leave the house like once a day, do a bit of a run outside. Um, that's not as risky as kind of congregating with groups of people out, indoors or outdoors. So that's safe for now. Um, also try to have like daily Skype conversations with others. Um, we turned one of our bedrooms into kind of a movement space. So that's helping us kind of have room to do yoga or work out or dance. So um, that's been helpful as well. And just not, not looking at coronavirus news all the time. I would say that's the best thing. <laughs> yeah. Somebody else I talked to in New York you, the other day mentioned like kind of going on a diet, quote unquote, of, uh, of news and just kind of exposing yourself to the news at, at specific periods of the day. Um, mm-hmm. Colin, what about you? I mean, you're in a very different kind of city environment than we're in. Um, how are you coping with this and what kind of self-care are you practicing? Yeah, I feel pretty fortunate in the state of Colorado, just in general. And Governor Polis has been out in front of a lot of this and encouraging a lot of great habits and suggesting a lot of uh, activities that are, you know, low impact and low not likely to lead to social interactions. You know, we can Mm -hmm. hop on the bike and go for a bike ride or go for a hike. And um, that's part of the beauty of living in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one thing that uh, I have done with my girlfriend and and her roommate, who are both teachers and and her boyfriend, the four of us have sort of self-quarantined in the house Mm -hmm. and we have gotten a bunch of supplies and we have 
call it the teachers and us, but we sort of made like a daily, like a rough schedule where mm -hmm. we're respecting each other and their remote learning needs, but then coming together to make dinner and have some kind of evening activity, whether it's playing games or watching a movie or the other night we rewrote the lyrics to a Taylor Swift song all built around coronavirus uh, <laughs> words. Nice. Um, but doing things like that, that just help to keep some light energy and fun in the reality that we're all existing in. And knowing that this is something that everybody is going through, I think um, creates a, a deeper uh, empathy for our realities. So picking up the phone and calling a friend that I haven't talked to in, in a month or two to see how they're doing, you know, and seeing what mm -hmm. they're up to. Uh, I think those are some of the things that we're, that we're encouraging each other to do to stay uh, happy and healthy. Mm -hmm. So if you guys, you know, kind of turning more towards your educator hat, um, what are some like, just like two or three resources you really think, I mean, and let's, you know, assume that this requires an internet connection, um, even though we know that a lot of people don't have access to that, but what are some of the, your favorite kind of, we, we mentioned Tinkercad, I think Tinkercad is a fantastic resource. What are some other things that you guys are pointing parents and teachers toward? Uh, so my school has been really um, emphasizing our LMS managed back and as well as Google Classroom. So um, a lot of teachers have had to learn it if they haven't already used it consistently in their classes. Um, also, we're pointing a lot of teachers towards Screencastify, and we're doing a lot of our teacher meetings on Zoom. So I would say these are all tools that, you know, people have heard of, but we're just using them more consistently now. And, you know, I never, I'm never for using a tool just to try it, but using it to really, like, accomplish some goals that you have. And it's really not about the newest or most advanced thing, but really what what meets your needs. What about you, Colin? Yeah, I echo Mimi there. <clears throat> and uh, from the, the school point of view and the teacher point of view, looking at what we already have and what we already use and, and really less is more. So using Google Calendar, we all have Google Calendar as part of the mm -hmm. suite, but how often are we scheduling meetings in Google Calendar and taking advantage of the Google Hangout link that is automatically populated every time you make a, a GCal invite. Um, yeah. So really working with our, our teams to embrace the tools that are already there, not introduce anything new. Um, and then the other side of this that I've been uh, encouraging, you know, friends and teachers and everybody who will, will is on Twitter or out there looking for resources is look around mm -hmm. your house. You have mm -hmm. tons of stuff. This is a huge creative challenge for everybody. If, whether you're building a fort at home or mm -hmm. uh, a, a teacher said that uh, they found an old camera and his, he encouraged his son, who is a third grader, to take it apart. And the kid took the whole thing apart, found the different layers in the LCD, and then started looking at the, the LCD layers under a microscope and finding these incredible patterns and then taking off a camera phone to the, the microscope and taking pictures of what he found in there. Though that, that's an incredible endeavor for a nine-year-old to go through. And it was something that they didn't have to leave the house or buy anything for. They mm -hmm. just had them laying around. So that was one of my favorite classes when I was a K-5 uh, maker teacher was the take apart. Bring in a something, take it apart, and let's see what's inside there. And if you want to rebuild it, go for it. Otherwise, use the materials and just explore and see where that leads you. And I think that's something that everybody can do um and digging in the closet you never know what you're going to find there's probably something really fun and cool there that you can play around with yeah i think the only caveat i would add to that is make sure there's no capacitors especially the larger <laughs> capacitors there uh, you go you know, as a, 
Yeah, I took a disposable camera apart once upon a time as a child. And, you know, there's a pretty decent sized capacitor that charges the flasher. Yeah. And uh, that is a shock that I did not forget. But uh, yeah, parent, parents and teachers look out for capacitors. Um, well, guys, I want to say it's just I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk to me during this time. And I hope to jump back on another future episode with you guys and check back in with you. And like Colin said, we don't know how long we're in this or what it's going to look like. And um, I really am heartened and uh, feel really good when I see kind of the hashtag, we're all in this together. And I certainly think as educators, we're, we're all in this together. And, you know, we kind of all have to help each other. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you, JD. I'm glad that you're putting this together and bringing some, some light and sharing some resources uh, because everybody needs it. We're all in this together for sure. Thank you for listening to the Depth and Life podcast. A very special thank you to the educators who have taken time to talk to us during this troubling period. If you are an educator and would like to join an upcoming conversation, send us an email at info at We would love to hear from you.